Hello, listeners. Before we get into this week's episode, just two quick notes. First, this week's episode's audio quality isn't where we normally like it to be. There were a couple technical difficulties, but it is still a really great and very funny episode, and I hope you enjoy it. And two, we pick our subjects usually two weeks to a month in advance, so Christopher Guest had been on our books for a while. And unfortunately, this past weekend, we learned Fred Willard, frequent actor in the Christopher Guest films, had passed away. Fred was beloved in the acting community as well as by fans. I believe I read Kevin Christie tweeted out that on Christopher Guest sets, they had this phrase called Willarded, where a scene would go on so long and be so funny because of Fred Willard, no one would have a follow-up to it. So he was truly a great talent. So before we get started, here's just a little clip of Christopher Guest talking about Fred Willard, Fred Willard himself, and one of my favorite clips from Christopher Guest's films, starring Fred Willard. Everyone is watching Fred work, without exception. Everyone, you know, it, it's like kids at a party. I mean, and this is fun. This is uh, fun to do. Over 30 years ago, Fred and I were in a play at the um, Circle in the Square Theater called Little Murders. And I, it was the first play I ever did. It was Jules Pfeiffer play that Alan Arthur yeah. directed. I knew something was off <laughs> when Fred actually started doing lines that weren't in the play <laughs> to me. And I was sitting on the stage. This is the play going on. There are people there. And I heard these words that weren't familiar. And I looked over and there was Fred, of course. He's in the play. But <laughs> I didn't really know what to make of it other than I just looked at him and uh, nodded. And I said to myself, you're different. And, uh, <laughs> and he is. In a movie, you might be very funny, but you don't move the script along. Um, in his movies, you've got to know your character. You've got to know what they're doing, what their background is, what they're trying to accomplish. I hate to sound like one of these serious actors. Uh, but when you're improvising, you can't just suddenly say, pull something out of left field. It's got to be in character. Let's start right out. Hey, what happened? As you know, back in 1970, I start on a series called What Happened? And every time something would go wrong, I would look at the camera and say, Hey, what happened? <laughs> we had a lot of fun with that and a lot of other catchphrases. I got a real red wagon. <laughs> and, uh... I can't do my work. And I believe I was the first one to use the phrase, I don't think so. But it only lasted a year, and that's good because that's how you establish a cult. So I was on stage doing all my shtick, you know, hey, what happened? And I can't do my work. And if someone would heckle me, they'd say, are you going to be on stage all night? I would say, that's right. And that'd crack up the audience. And with that, enjoy the episode. It's the day of the show, y'all. Hey, Gavin. How are you doing? I'm doing great. The sun is shining. Um, you know, a lot of stoop sitting. Um, you know what I'm loving in New York right now? To go cocktails. Genius. I'm, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm living in this like, yeah, <laughs> New Orleans. I, I love thee so much. And I, I hope, um, you know what? I hope we can just like start drinking in the streets once all this is over um, and we can keep doing that. That's yeah, Silver Linings Playbook, um, drinking in the streets. Not just filling up <laughs> right. the water bottles. <laughs> right. <Man. laughs> <laughs> okay. Welcome everyone to the Tactics. Mixed Reviews. <laughs> hi, yeah. hi. Thank you guys for joining us. We're a film podcast in which we take a subject, 
be it a mini genre, an actor, or director, and we take two weeks and we watch as much as possible. And then we come back, we give you a full history and we talk about what we liked and what we don't like. Yeah, we mix up the reviews. You know, it wasn't mixed, Gavin. Um, our last Netflix watch party where no. we watched The Queen and we had so many fun friends of the pod as they are called, obviously, um, uh, who watched the, yes, they watched The Queen with us. Um, excellent movie that we talked about um, in our Drag on Film episode. So thank you guys for coming. Yes, so many people came to that. that. And I was I was genuinely surprised and very happy because it is a documentary. And I feel like people yes. think, see that and are like, oh. Why? But also like so many people who came and watched who hadn't seen The Queen before. And I just felt like we were legitimately like spreading herstory um to to the gals out there so um thank you guys so much for listening a little old business gavin before we go on into that uh let us introduce our special guest this week because we are not alone are we louis there's a stranger in the house absolutely (laughs) (laughs) please welcome to the stage brandon t snyder thank you so much thank you please hold your applause (laughs) brandon i have to say um, before we even get even further than this, I told Gavin I was so excited to meet and talk with you because I listened to you guys on the Midtown podcast. And I remember telling Gavin when I first met him, I was like, Brandon, honestly, is my favorite guest. He's so nice and so funny. Oh my God. And I, I'm, <laughs> I'm not making this up at all. Like, Gavin, you have the receipts. Like, you know, I said this. And so I'm very happy and excited that you are here with us now. Oh, that's that is very sweet. I love the Midtown podcast. And I, we had a good time. It I'm did. sad that. That, she's a gone girl now yeah like it was like there was so much potential there and you know that's what happens when you're a rather large corporation and you decide not to advertise the thing that you're doing that the people that mm. are doing it are doing for free pop, yeah. pop off gavin we had a good time we did we have a good time, time. It was. I mean, I truly like even before I had met gavin properly was just a fan of the show and like uh and 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 yeah so i i me and gavin have to talked a lot about uh, uh, his previous shows and like how much I enjoyed them. Exciting to be here. <laughs> a pleasure. Pleasure. For the uninitiated, by the way, I just want to give you a brief introduction, Brandon. You are incredibly accomplished. Yeah. You are a published author. I mean, you in in the last two years have released how many books? Like, it, like in- Well, the past two years have been slower, but like a couple years before, like three years ago, like I was like writing I didn't say no to anything. It was like my year two, a couple years of yes to everything in which I also did not have a social life or- Your year of yes. Mm. Yeah. Um, but I've like, I've, 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 I've lessened my output, but, but I should say refocused my output. Mm, there you uh, go. There for, you go. According to Wikipedia, you've published 21 books in the last two years. So I just want to, uh, and these are not right. like- these are not like you small, fucking yeah. lazy pieces yeah, exactly. of shit, Brandon. <laughs> Twenty-one yeah, books yeah. in two years. I mean, the, these are these are books for Marvel. They're books for DC. They are books for Audible. Uh, so like, yeah. So it's not like you're whatever. Be humble all you want, but you're also working actor. I'm just like I'm like I'm like, but I'm only just now, you know, like when it like people will be like, oh my gosh, like so accomplished. I'm like, yeah, but you haven't seen my four hundred one k. Like I'm just <laughs> starting to be responsible as an adult, so. I don't know what yeah, those like, numbers are. This is mean. a lot of backtracking. <laughs> I had too much fun in my 20s and now I'm starting to actually work. But as I was saying, like also an accomplished actor. I mean, you were seen most recently on The Deuce and High Fidelity. So I love High Fidelity so much. So like, yeah. It's it's you're certainly not, you know, just lounging. 
I pop up every every once in a while. I pop up on TV as a creep or someone who is socially mm. awkward, and I'm fine wow, with that. Wow, wow, you know your niche, your focus. Like this is who you yeah, are. I'm always popping up on something. Someone get uh, egot. EGOT. Yeah. <laughs> I, Hello. I. You know what? I should. I should look into egotting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I it should, is the next call? step. It is. The- I need a single. <laughs> <laughs> so we're so excited and happy you're here. Um, I'm excited to be here. You're here to help us um, with our next episode. But before we do, we have a little bit of old business. Last episode, we talked about Diane Keaton with our good, good friend, Samantha Stallard. Um, Great guest. We asked you guys to go online. Great guest. We're going to make you guys fight later. That's why I mentioned Brandon. (laughs) Brandon's ready. I can't here. Oh, love that. Um, We asked you guys to go online and vote for your favorite Diane Keaton film. Um, And here are the results. Uh, Annie Hall came in at fourth place with 18%. Something's Gotta Give, which was Sam's pick, came in in third with 20%. Reds, which was Gavin's pick, came in at 22%. And First Wives Club, my pick, came at 40%. Um, Gavin, you were campaigning so hard for Reds. I was, it, well, I, I, was like, I put out one tweet just saying that I... I, said, I, I Gavin, <laughs> enough. Stop making people watch three-hour communism movies. Ooh. It's, my, it's my goal. It's my goal, always. <laughs> I'm like, what um, is also... the next big communism movie? When yeah, yeah. is, is it she? happening? Look at this rose emoji over here. Yeah, hello. <laughs> um, we also did get people uh, who responded saying they liked uh, Looking for Mr. Goodbar, which we discussed, we loved. Uh, Mertada's podcast, Sundays with Kate, responded, what? Annie Hall's iconic. Well, iconically in fourth place. Uh, Ooh, Meow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, we got two people asking or, or saying looking for Mr. Goodbar. Um, Manish said, if Nancy doesn't win, um, in, in a very funny um, gif from Something's Gotta Give. God, Diane Keen was a great episode. Great, yeah. great episode. Love her. Um, Brandon, what, what do you like about Diane? Do you have any Diane experience? I if you had to choose a favorite? I love Something's Gotta Give. Yes. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, but like there are certain movies that when they're on television, like yeah. a Nancy Myers movie, I'm just like, oh, just snuggle up with me yeah. and we'll just stay here on the couch and I'll love you right. and we'll just, like Something's Gotta Give is just, what was really nice about it too is like, I don't know, Diane Keaton showed a different side of herself like I always think about that scene of her just crying, and, yes, yes. and I'm like, "Wow, I, I, we're the same." <laughs> is that <laughs> your process? Is exactly yeah, the same. When you're writing your books, it's just that crying and then like fiercely typing. Oh yeah, except except she has a giant beautiful house on the beach, and I live in a two bedroom apartment in Queens. Well, you know. <laughs> Yeah, something's gonna give was like a very sweet. Mm-hmm. It was just a nice movie. Yeah. It was just a nice just movie. Nice. Yeah. I feel the exact same way, Brandon. Especially about Battleship Potemkin and the Soviet War and Peace, communism. Right. Get into it, guys. Right. Get it. It's just like it's a nice movie about communism. <laughs> exactly. God, Battleship Potemkin is more of a family film, I think. Exactly. <laughs> Have you seen the Pixar version? It's actually <laughs> really really well done exactly okay. they, okay, they yeah. get the nuance and that's what thank you yeah, they do. okay diane we love you so much um we are moving on uh gavin can you tell our listeners why we brought brandon here to, and um what we're talking about for this episode so we are talking about the spontaneous the mm. drawl sometimes in interviews I, I was thinking i was the, thinking drawl girl the, sometimes that's generous the, the royal mm. 
Mm-hmm. Christopher Guest. Christopher Guest, yes. King. Christopher <laughs> King. The fifth Baron. The fifth Baron Hayden Guest, if you will. It is yes. The fifth, yes. So, Brandon, you uh, when I contacted you about being on the show, I asked you who you'd be interested in and in taking a deep dive into, and you said Christopher Guest. So, why don't you give us just a, a brief background as to why you wanted to look and dissect the career of Christopher Guest? So, waiting for Goffman changed my life. Mm. I mean, like, Waiting for Guffman was a movie that really affected me. It, it was so funny and so, it's like hit me at the exact right time that I needed to do. I, actually, I was in college um, when I first heard about it. I had a, a voice teacher, Dr. David Bankston, who whenever I would have my voice lesson, he would start doing quirky St. Clair voices. And oh I like didn't know what he was talking about. And he'd be like, have you never seen Waiting for Guffman? And I was like, no. And he's like, Brandon. Like, and he got he would always get so frustrated. And I then I didn't watch it for years. And just because I was in college and like there were certain things at times in college where I was like devoted to like reading plays and seeing movies and I'm oh, I'm so immersed. And then other times where I was like, I'm gonna go get drunk all the time and like not <laughs> right, and just right. be social. And like I'm, there was I'm a still 50 50 on that. So <laughs> Where I was just not interested. And so it took me a few years. And then when I finally watched it, I was like, I just, it was so subtle and so real to me. Like it wasn't something that beat you over the head with the comedy. All the characters were very much people who I, who I had met in my life. You know, I grew up in Cincinnati in the suburbs. I went to college in Myrtle Beach. Like there were people, like I did community theater in Cincinnati and I did like my, the, the plays that I did in college. Sometimes some of the, the actors came from the community. So there were all of these types of people that I was like, this is so familiar to me. Mm-hmm. And the nuance that I saw in the performances, especially Christopher Guest, like it was, it was very truthful and as, as an actor, like, I really connected with that. It wasn't some, it, you know, I just, I never felt like the comedy, the comedy didn't come from a place of mugging and, and which was really nice because a lot of times too, with improv, you know, improvisation, people love to mug it up and be funny, funny, funny constantly. Um, or try, you know, and, it, and, and sometimes that happens and people laugh and people are like, it makes sense. But other times it's just mugging. It's, but like, so, you know, cause improv is not just about being, it's not about being funny. It's about living the circumstances and building a scene. The actors in that film are listening to one another and building all of these really interesting things. And it was like really riveting. And Christopher Guest's performance also was just fucking hysterical. Yeah. Like, he's so funny. The, I mean, like so funny. And then Best in Show came out and that was like the thing that hit. You know, yeah, like right. people knew about Waiting for Guffman, yeah. but like Best in Show was like the widespread thing. So people would, you know, be like, oh my God, have you seen Best in Show? And I'm like, bitch, <laughs> yes, I, of course I did. I've been waiting for that movie to come out. Um, and then I read, there was a book uh, called Best in Show about the Christopher Guest films. Um, and I like ate it. And because I just like- <laughs> Literally, hearing, didn't even stop to read I, it. I just, just I, I devoured it. the pages. I was like, no, oh, get all the knowledge. <laughs> and just to find out about the whole process of making those movies was fascinating because it was unlike anything else. I mean, I, I also really like creators um, and artists who just get to do the thing that they want to do on their own terms. Mm-hmm. They're like, let me just make my thing and leave me alone. And that is what I had gotten from Christopher Guest from the very beginning. He's like, 
leave me alone. Let me do my thing. I'm going to, you know, shoot however many, 60, hour, 60 hours plus. Right. And uh, I think was something I'm waiting for Guffman. And then I'll figure out what this movie is. And like, they didn't, you know, imp- r- making a movie based on improv sounds like a nightmare to me. At the same time, <laughs> it's like something that I would love to accomplish. Yeah, yeah. There, there is definitely an element of controlled chaos i mean obviously he goes through rigorous processes and i actually heard him talk in a couple interviews about how he can tell he doesn't do auditions but he right. brings people in and talks with them for a period of time and he can tell within a 15 20 minute conversation if this person's going to be good at doing the thing that he requires of them to do it's uncomfortable because there isn't anything there's no script there are words written down so it is uncomfortable i try to have a conversation it's not a test and it could be that i'm certainly not meaning to be um, difficult or make it traumatic for people but i can tell in 15 or 20 minutes or at least i have made decisions based on that, and it's it's typically worked out well, I would say. I think that process is really fascinating, but uh, but it is very special. It is something mm-hmm. that I, I definitely don't think a lot of people, and I, I think you even see that if you, you know, you look at Spinal Tap, and I, I, I love Rob Reiner's direction, but I don't, I think it is very apparent watching Spinal Tap. It's just such a different feeling when it comes to the films that he directed himself. Yeah. Yeah. And it, Christopher, I guess, too, like, something that I noticed in his films is that there's this, there's no fear in sitting in the silence. Right. Um, totally. And, you know, there's no need to edit it to the hilt. It's, you know, characters can just sort of exist in the moment and, uh, and things breathe in a different way that I really enjoy. So I think that's a great description as to why we're talking about Christopher Guest. So why don't we take a step back, hop in the Wayback Machine, and move into our rewind. (laughs) I had the joyous honor of uh, tackling the rewind for this episode. I have a feeling that, Brandon and Gavin, you might know more than I do about um, our topic today. So if I'm leaving anything out, please press pause on that rewind, fill in the blanks. (laughs) <laughs> I, I will say, I actually might not know more because he is not one for doing interviews. No. And when he does interviews, he is oh, yeah. very he is spicy. He's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Full nooch. Entire, like, I was Absolutely. like, almost every question that's asked of him, you know, is like, so I heard you studied music. He'll respond with, did I? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so like, yes. He... <laughs> And and here's the thing, like I so I'm I'm getting this out of the way up top. Um, it was very hard because he's so immensely unlikable as like an interviewer. I'm like, oh cool, what a fun thing to read. Like he does not give a fuck and he's not really giving you much to work with. Right. Uh, what was the germ of the idea? I mean, what made you? Uh, germ, huh? Well, yes. <laughs> what was well, the germ? The germ, that, uh, yeah. The germ multiplied <laughs> into this disease called the germ. Yeah, germ boy. <laughs> Little Murders mm. was the name of the off-Broadway play. That's true. You were 21. Yes, sir. Uh, you what, want me to read this stuff? It might go faster. What was that? The inspiration behind this spinal tap. Talk to me about it. Uh, really? Yes. On a counterpoint to that, I I found it like, and admittedly, yeah, it is. A, I, if I was the interviewer, I'd be like, oh. 
fuck, I'm fucking this up and I've ruined everything. But I did find it a little endearing because it's refreshing that he doesn't have to go in and be the whole like, oh, I loved right. doing this, you know, the whole fake, right. you know, element of Right, of but like, every... if you're going on Good Morning America, let's give them, like, their grandma's <laughs> watching at home. Can Wait, you just... Can you go on Good Morning America? <laughs> there's like, there's a an interview with him um, with David Allen Greer. Oh, yeah. And it's like in front of like a live audience that are just like, you know, silly like New Yorker people or I don't know where it was or what show it was, but like, they're just like, you know, it's daytime television, having a good, easy breezy. Right. It's not, it's not to like the, I'm out To the extent blood. that David Allen Greer like pointed at, he's like, you know, they told me you'd be tough. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> everything, everything I've read, it's like all the journalists are like, okay, so he sucked, but I still have to do my job. So like, this was a Hard episode for me. Okay, it was hard. It was hard. Okay, sue me. I'm basic. Be um, honest with your feelings, Louis. <laughs> I'm being honest. With my, I'm I'm mixing the reviews. Uh, Christopher Hayden Guest, fifth Baron Hayden Guest, uh, was born February fifth, nineteen forty-eight. He was born in New York City. His father was Peter Hayden Guest, who was a British UN diplomat, um, who would later become the fourth Baron Hayden Guest. So, like, this is not a joke. He is of a royal lineage in its. <laughs> Crazy. So if you ask yes, him, queen. yeah, <laughs> yes, queen, very <laughs> yes, queen. Though if you ask him, you know, he's said that just means somebody down the line in my family was rich enough to buy a title. So right. <laughs> yeah, and his mom is Pauline Hins, who's the American former vice president of casting at CBS. So like already he has um, this pedigree, like not even just like his parents are rich, but like, and they were, but the pedigree of like literally being a royal, it's kind of like bonkers. And um, I can only imagine um, <laughs> being a child, a, a royal child. In showbiz. <laughs> uh -huh. He found out that um, his uncle, David Guest, was a communist party member and was killed in the Spanish Civil War, which is bonkers where's that movie i would watch that movie <laughs> imagine He's... improvising that with the amount of details that one would have to memorize like yes. <laughs> no absolutely not i would that one that's too much too much back much back studying best in so, war come on you got it best in war yeah um so Christopher Guest, he spent parts of his childhood in united kingdom he has no accent though um he fully has just like this california um american accent um, he attended school or high school at the High School of Music and Art in New York City, studying classical music, the clarinet, ever heard of it? And um, he later took up the mandolin. He's often said that uh, music is one of his passions in life. And you see him playing his music a lot in his movies. Literally today, I was like doing some research and I found, um, we'll get to this, he was on SNL later. And he was doing a bit where he was doing ventriloquism and I was like, the motherfucker was doing ventriloquism in Best in Show, and right, I yeah, and like he loves ventriloquism. It's, yeah, it's just so funny to me. Um, um, that I, I just finished Parker Posey's book, uh, "You're on an Airplane," and yes. she talks uh, just a tiny. I wish she talked more about Christopher Guest, honestly, but uh, she talks just a bit about Christopher Guest, and she said that there is not an instrument he can't play. He can pick up Amazing. anything, and he like knows it. So well, that's because he did go to NYU's Tisch School for the Arts. <laughs> Ever heard of it? Ever heard of it? <laughs> wow. He starts his career mostly as an actor. He's acting. Um, he did theater in the early seventies. Um, his one of his first performances was in Moon Children, um, it, which is a play um, out in DC, um, and that was in the early seventies. It and he went to Broadway with that show. Uh, so she's a Broadway gal. 
uh, the <laughs> following the, year. What was the plot of Moon Children, by the way? Chronicles a year in the life of the, quote, Moon Children, referred to in the title. Eight college students living t- communally together in an off-campus attic in the 1960s. The original title of the play was Cancer, and I can't imagine why they changed it. <laughs> hmm. I don't know. I feel like Moon Children's too vague. Cancer really lets you know. Cuts, cuts to the core. Mm-hmm. After he wrapped up with that, he started um, contributing to the National Lampoon Radio Hour um, for lots of different audio recordings. He was doing uh, characters. He was writing music, um, doing parodies and stuff. Yeah, I found uh, a performance of a him there. as Bob Dylan during uh, well, during one of the National Lampoon's Lemmings uh, broadcasts. You say I owe you something. Ask me for my plan. Just who are you expecting? Jesus Zimmerman? Boy, I don't give a darn, no. And it's you very good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I read, I read that like, he, they got lo- I, he says like cease and desist is too aggressive of language but he definitely got um some notes from people I, he got a note from pbs asking him to please not do mr rogers anymore um <laughs> oh. and I, yeah the next thing he, like gavin um mentioned national lampoon's lemmings which was an off-broadway review it starred chevy chase and john belushi some little fuckheads never heard of no um, no talent <laughs> too bad too bad about them they just disappeared after that just never yeah no never careers no careers chevy chase. Uh, <laughs> everyone's got a story everyone's <laughs> true you can you Brandon's can tell us triggers. after we're done recording brandon that's what we don't I, I don't i don't have a story but but he is like somebody who i feel like everyone everyone has a story oh, yeah. he's like the anti-bill murray Yes. They're like, you know, yeah. people are like, Bill Murray came to my party in Brooklyn. Yeah. Like, whereas you know, I said hi to Chevy Chase and he pushed, pushed me in a pool. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> um, so that was an off-Broadway review. Um, two of his earliest film roles were um, small parts in The Hot Rock and Death Wish. Um, and in 1977, he was an All in the Family episode. So, you know, he was getting around the New York Death acting Wish. scene. I didn't know that. Uh, uh, the, the one that I can't 1974. Re- the the one that I keep running into is so I watched the Hot Rock for the uh, Robert Redford episode that we did mm. and honestly I could not tell you who Christopher Guest was in that I think he played a policeman but even still I was just like he's very recognizable but nope yeah nothing nope can't find him <laughs> I, I love that I love like character actors and eccentric sort of got people who like early on play characters that are not you know it's like the da or whatever it just like right. lines where it's not at all their type or like their like their thing i love i kind of like love that yeah and so that was like his gig in the 70s and it wasn't until the early 80s was when everything kind of took off for him in 1984 um this is spinal tap came out and that movie is um it, it's like the genesis of like all of the things that would come till after. Um, this is Spinal Tap is beloved. Mm-hmm. People yes. live, laugh, love this movie. <laughs> laugh, love. Um, You've been um, in my bathroom? <laughs> you my sign? <laughs> um, he met Michael McKean, um, who was an actor that I think most people probably don't know the name, but know the face for sure. We, all, a very, we know Michael We know McKean. who Michael Keane is. Yeah. Michael okay, Keane. you guys can fucking relax, you <laughs> snooty assholes i could i know the face did not know the name okay christopher guest met michael mckean in the 60s in college um and they played music together 
And they were working with Harry Shearer and Rob Reiner on a TV pilot in 1978 for a sketch comedy show called The TV Show. Brilliant, iconic, can't In believe. the 70s, people Genius. loved to name things like that. <laughs> yeah. The, the TV show, it featured a, a parody rock band called Spinal Tap. Um, and so it was during production of a, that sketch, they began to improvise. And um, the characters that they started playing, um, Christopher Guest's character, Nigel Tufnell, uh, they were born there. And uh, it took until, you know, the 80s for that to come together as an actually as a film, literally because of Norman Lear, actual angel, actual um, genius of television and comedy. I, uh, I started developing this guy, I guess, in the mid-70s and fooling around with the idea of playing somebody like this. And then uh, when I was living at this hotel in Los Angeles, when I first moved out there called the Chateau Marmont, I saw a band arrive. I was standing at the desk for some reason, and this heavy metal band showed up to stay there and there was a great scene that sort of prompted this whole movie for me which was the the bass player couldn't find his instrument they were checking in and uh, the manager said uh, you know wh wh where's your bass and he said uh, I don't know I, I think I left it at the airport you, you left your bass at the airport yeah well I don't know where it is do I and it was this was played out <laughs> of about 15 minutes where he just he was in such a daze he didn't even know where his instrument was and it was this i got very inspired by that uh, little moment of pathos i guess it's it's like the birth of the um christopher guest don't hit me a uh, mockumentary style of uh <laughs> genre filmmaking can, i don't know can we talk can, can we, we yeah. me. he's coming well, honestly he hates me um can we can we talk about that phrase real quick because i can't and i've not found any better word for it Christopher Guest famously hates the phrase mockumentary because he detests the idea that he is mocking the mocking. subject. Yeah. Yes. Um, I, yeah. I, 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 I feel the, the same way. It's like I say mockumentary and then apologize for it and then <laughs> sort of like justify my use of it because, because people just call it mockumentary and it's, it's, it's apt in like an abstract way if that, you know what I mean? Like if you're a, if you're a regular if you're a regular Joe on the street who's just mm -hmm. looking for entertainment, it doesn't yeah. matter uh -huh. to you anyway. You'll be like, I love Bessie Chattanooga, all them jokes are funny. You know what I mean? <laughs> you're not appreciating the art of it. Um, but like that format, it's kind of like, what? there is no other, there's no substitute. Right, right. I mean, when you think about like, and, and so th this style literally, I mean, <laughs> Am I topical? Uh, it was a cultural reset um, <laughs> because I mean, literally, like I was talking to my boyfriend about this earlier. It was like the influences of that and like the era of comedy that we have been living in with like, you know, The Office. And I would yeah. say like Modern Family is probably like the mainstream peak of that. Probably, you know, like yeah. how do we like how do we bring mockumentary style to like the masses and Modern Family is that. And so now I think we're like on the other side of it. Like it's yeah. like you don't see Oh, the Parks and Rec of it all, and like those shows are largely now going away. Um, we yeah. don't see that too much. It's it's um, funny too but, because I I genuinely don't think we would have somebody like Ricky Gervais without Christopher oh, yeah. Guest, or at no. least the way that he no, entered no, 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 into no. you know because his creation of The Office, the British Office, is what really sparks that and brings that to television. This style, mm -hmm. um, right. but I will say that the thing that separates them is. <laughs> I do feel like Ricky Gervais is interested in mocking his subjects, <laughs> and I don't. I don't get that yeah. from Christopher Guest. Well, I mean, I think we'll get into it as we get, 
go into the movies later on. But I think that there are some parts where I'm like, you're not making fun of this person because <laughs> I don't get it, mama. Like I'm, I'm missing something. But like when Fred Willard, which P.S. rest in peace. But like when he is like, the joke is like trying to pick up the small person because he can't reach whatever in mascots. I'm like, that's. The joke is he's a small person, right? Like that's not. But, like, I, but I also think the other side of that joke is that Fred Willard's character is a complete idiot and incredibly inappropriate, and and so I mean, but uh, th- that being said, is that then not making fun of this idiot as well? So I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I don't. Know. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, hard. It's, I mean, I think we should fight about it. I, <laughs> let's fight. Like, I, I want to know. I truly do. In re in rewatching there, so I think because and. I think there are certain things about performances that come out, you know what I mean? Like, it's like not going to be a hundred percent like across the board where something won't come off as mocking or, you know, poking fun at, I mean, like, obviously there's gonna, you know, the core is truth, right? The core is like, this is a slice of life. These are real people and real personalities and people that you can find in the wild, no matter how outlandish they are. I mean, like in Best in Show, I mean, like, just like the, you know, just the, I think that's why he takes these compartmentalized worlds and goes at them in these directions because it's like, you will find characters. Like you need not mock these people because they are real and exist. Yeah, I mean, and I think like when watching Spinal Tap, or this is Spinal Tap. Um, that they're they're a band and uh, a, a heavy metal rock band, and it's fully just like taking the piss out of them, and they're so serious. Um, my favorite part of this movie, Fran Drescher. Hello. Yes. She, I I was watching this. I'd never seen it before, and I watched it, and I was like, ah, ah. first of all, she looks amazing, gorgeous, iconic. I was like, <laughs> it, finding Fran Drescher outside of the nanny is like a rare Pokemon. Okay, like it is just. Um, so healing to my soul. And um, it's so yeah. funny too, when you th- think about it though, because I think that the greatest burden these films have is because they're usually about something kind of niche is making them accessible to a wider audience. And so I think the quirkier the character, the easier it is to relate to, because honestly, like I don't really relate to people who, who do professional dog shows, but I relate to their like, idiosyncratic nature of obsessing about you're always, something you're always bringing kimonos with you when you travel <laughs> yeah oh that's true God that is it. true um but <laughs> but it is funny because that i like as i was reading parker posey's book she so she got involved with christopher guest when she she did a very small role in the movie coneheads and then a couple years later christopher guest called lauren michaels and asked if he knew somebody who could play 18 but could also improv and he recommended parker posey and she was like I wasn't really familiar with him because I saw Spinal Tap and hated it because I don't like heavy metal. And and I think that's really funny because like I don't when I watch Spinal Tap I'm never like, oh this is really about heavy metal. And like <laughs> right right. But, so I mean I, like there there are funny bits and gags in there for sure. Like when they're like lost and trying to find the stage. Oh my god, like it's their favorite backstage. <laughs> yeah, it's it's there 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 are certainly some very I mean. The famous goes to eleven speech, it, you know, like yeah, right. This is a top to a, you know, what we use on stage, but it's very, very special because if you can see, yeah, the numbers all go to eleven. Look right across the board, oh. eleven, oh, eleven, and most of eleven, the and then amps go up to ten. Exactly. Does that mean it's louder? Is it any louder? Well, it's one louder, isn't it? It's not ten. 
You see, most most blokes are going to be playing at ten. You're on ten here, all the way up, all the way up, yeah. all the way up. You're on ten on your guitar. Where mm. can you go from there? Where? I don't know. Nowhere. Exactly. What we do is, if we need that extra push over the cliff, you know what we do? I put it up to eleven. Eleven. Exactly. One louder. Why don't you just make ten louder and make ten be the top number and make that a little louder? These go to eleven. Um, I came to Spinal Tab later. That's the funny thing for me is it doesn't have the same. Like I can recognize it for what it is, and I have enjoyed it. But like it doesn't have the same resonance for me because I like I didn't I, I didn't get to it till later for whatever reason. There right. are some movies that I just like right. I don't like. There are some sure. movies I've never seen that everyone loves and has seen, and I'm like eh, I don't know I will see it. I've never seen Titanic, but and people are like what. <laughs> like, but so, like, with Spinal Tap, they're like, oh, my God, have you seen Spinal Tap? And for years after I saw Waiting for Guffman and Best in Show, I was like, no, I, I will. Uh, yeah. But, um, um, yeah, it doesn't have the same resonance with me for, you know, well, I think it's just a timing thing. So that movie comes out in 1984. Uh, before we move on real quick, Louis, I just beg of you, because he is our guest, please do not tell Brandon how Titanic ends. Please just don't. Don't bring it up. Okay, well, have you seen Twilight? <laughs> um... <laughs> No. Oh is my it, god! It's, it the same thing. it's the same. It's the very same. It's the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, oh, it's cool. Great. Yeah. <laughs> if you're into young adult fiction, Titanic and Twilight. Twilight must have. After Spinal Tap comes out, um, he, alongside Martin Short, Billy Crystal, and Harry Shear, are hired for a one-year only um, contract for Saturday Night Live. Wait, it's did certainly... you read Live from Saturday uh, Live from Saturday Night? Is that the name of the yes, book? Yes, I, I did years ago. I can't remember the specifics of it, but... They, they talk, uh, there's a little, there's stuff in there about that. Um, or Live from New York, sorry. Um, yeah. Yeah, they talk a little bit about that. It was almost like they like farmed, not farmed out, but it was like a, what do they call it now when you have like a capsule collection? It was like, mm-hmm. kind of like, what they were doing for SNL was their own thing. Yeah. And it wasn't like this, you know, it was, yeah. It was, I mean, it's, did you guys watch any of his, his SNL clips? Yeah. Sure. I mean, yeah. the swimmers. <laughs> the swimmers. The, Sorry, the... That, that was iconic when I was in high school. <laughs> like, I him mean, and... my friends used to do those those voices and those uh, lines. Is, is it him and... Um, well, him and Billy Crystal are in a lot of stuff together. And yes, I think they're yeah. really good together. Um, I My favorite um, was um, oh God, the, the, the the two guys that are just like always talking about how they've hurt themselves so aggressively. Um, God, it's Frankie and Willie. I know Frankie, but even when I'm not with, just like now, it's very painful. Yeah, I know what you mean. The other day, I was down in my workshop, you know? Mm-hmm. I had nothing to do, just biding my time, you know? So I took my Black & Decker drill, you know? Mm-hmm. I drilled a hole right in the end of my toe, you know, right under the nail? Yeah. Right, and then I took a can of that, uh... Red Devil Turpentine? Yeah. <laughs> I poured it right in the hole. Holy mackerel mama, what pain. I know. <laughs> I hate that. Me too. Did you guys happen to stumble across the Rooster and the King at all? No. No. It is them in blackface doing oh, no. uh, oh. Negro League baseball players. It is so weird and like kind oh. of shocking. I was like, oh, we're still doing blackface in 1984? Okay. Oh. What, a, what a fun thing to come across, what a SNL. Counter. And also, I like NBC has like certainly scrubbed this from their like archives collection. 
Um, but they exist out there if you just do a quick Google. I will say, on a happier note, the next, uh, after he does that in 1985, it's The Princess Bride. It is. Um, which, and you know, Princess Bride is so fun and it's crazy because I watched like him and his like crazy characters and voices on SNL and then going to Princess Bride where he's like this flawless as a villain. I was like, it, mama, this is, this is the character actor, Mama, okay? Hello! My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Now! Offer me money. Yes. Power to promise me that. All that I have and more. Please. Offer me everything I ask for. Anything you want. I want my father back, you son of a bitch. It's funny that you mentioned earlier that he has no accent because my first introduction to him was in The Princess Bride before I knew, mm. you know, that he was a director and everything. And so I thought after seeing Waiting for Guffman, I was like, wow, he does an American accent so well. <laughs> he does the, because yeah. I, I thought- Surprise, bitch. I, yeah, I thought Count Rugen was his actual thing. Uh, but I will say, it's funny, I saw him joke in an interview that like, which of, which of his characters is closest to him? And he's like, oh, definitely Count Rugen from Princess Bride. But I'll be honest, watching him in the other interviews, I was like, mm. <laughs> you're not wrong <laughs> like, <laughs> he was not joking yeah he's like i'm a i'm a villain <laughs> in 1986 he he did a cameo in the remake of little shop of horrors um which is super fun um throwback to his broadway days 1989 is his first directorial debut um uh, movie that he makes with kevin bacon um i like the big picture a lot it's great i had never seen um, it before um it, it's it's really funny because it it is uh, send up of Hollywood. It's a, it's a film about Kevin Bacon, who is a, a young film school graduate who's trying to get a movie made, and just the perils of that, and how like the Hollywood system changes. It's funny because in a way, it's the um, more uh, optimistic version of for, for your consideration. consideration. Yeah, and yeah. it's it's really interesting. But he had such trouble getting this film made because no one wanted it. Uh, film studio finally greenlit it. One studio, Paramount, said. Uh, go ahead and write the script. And we wrote the script, and then they didn't think it was such a good idea after all. And then uh, David Putnam uh, read it and said, I'd like to make this movie. Uh, and briefly what happened is, uh, after getting a go-ahead on a film, you, you begin the process, and there's a certain amount of uh, momentum. And we started, and he was, uh, in two weeks, he was gone. And then what happened is, uh, because the movie is in fact about this, uh, we went. There was a transition at the studio. A different executive took over. Uh, a, a woman, just as it is in the script. In fact, so it was something written beforehand that was now happening to me. But I, I still think the film is incredibly successful, <laughs> incredibly likable. Um, and what's cool is he was able to get his. He was able to get Michael McKeon his friend, like the second lead yes. in the movie. Also popping up Fran Drescher yet again. Yes. Like literally for like one scene. Also um, a very hot, like she was at the peak of her powers. Um, Terry uh, Hatcher. God, another Terry Hatcher. Yeah. Just doing- Lois Lane herself. Terry Hatchering about- Wait, yeah, where does just, that fall in the Lois and Clark timeline? Uh, so that would be, I, I want to say, before. Uh, seven years, seven years before Lois and Clark. Before so big, Lois big hair, Clark. Terry Hatcher, like okay. big hair, That's sexy. Right. Yeah. Like, 
it was, I mean, this must have been around the time of Soap Dish because she was doing the same thing in Soap Dish. And this movie is a little more traditional. It's not a mockumentary no. style movie at all. Um, and you can still feel his like withering criticism of the system of it all. Martin Short's in it as his agent, also so funny. Oh my God, Martin Short uh, didn't take a credit for the film. Considered it a cameo, what? does not have a screen credit on the movie, even though he's in he's in more scenes than some of the other characters uh, because he plays yeah. Kevin Bacon's agent. And he wrote in his autobiography that one of his biggest regrets is not taking a screen credit for that character because that character is one of the f- most favorite characters he's ever built for a movie. Look, Nick, I'm not going to bullshit you. I don't know you. I don't know your work. But I think that you are a very, very talented young man, and I'm never wrong about these things. Excuse me. Keith. Mm. Yes. Could I have another Cointreau and Sodi? Mm -hmm. And could you send an almond tort over to the gentleman in the white suit in the corner? Certainly. Look, Nick, I'm not going to bullshit you. Because it's a waste of time, and then it becomes like that thing. Oh. <laughs> I'm not talking to you. <laughs> I'll call you. It's also around this time he uh, he was known as the honorary Christopher Hayden guest because his father um, succeeded in the family. Um, oh, so like in 1983, he makes a um, HBO film, uh, a remake of Attack of the 50 Foot Woman uh, with Daryl Hannah. Mm-mm, <laughs> You, you know what? Uh, I I rewatched it, but uh, I rewatched it. I rewatched it. it as well, and I didn't hate it. I didn't like it, but I but I certainly didn't hate I, it. I I liked it a lot. <laughs> I have questions. <laughs> um, I it, it was like I just felt like it was like this. It was like a we. It was weird to me because it wasn't full camp. It did not right. It wasn't like we, it is, this is camp. Like, I know that there was a lot of um, it trying to mimic things from the original movie. Mm-hmm. So, like, yeah, I know it, that there were the, those sort of things in play. It follows um, but, the plot of the original movie, like, almost to the letter, but it just updates a lot of it to be sort of a, a more feminist. feminist. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. But, like, but the, like, some of the camp sort of, like, in some of their performances, yeah. like there were some people who were here and then like Francis Farmer would come on and was just like, let's have a very serious conversation. Like, so there was that sort of like level, but then I, I don't know, like there were things like the cues were off or not off, but like, you know, like there was so much uh, space in between certain things and even like scenes and whatever, where I'm like, why, why is there just all this silence as like Daryl Hannah walks around, like I don't know, some of the scenes with like the the barn where I'm just like, huh? Yeah. Um, and once she makes her transformation, I mean, I don't know. I, I was just sort of fascinated with some of the. Oh, and what's her name? Oh God, who who played the Ice Princess in Batman Returns? Yes. Okay, Is I wanted to, I wanted to bring her up because uh, Christy Conaway. I wanted to bring yes. her up because the, she um, wears this like bob, this like dark brown bob wig yeah. throughout most of the yeah. movie until she takes it off towards the end. And I was like, oh, like like she just looked like Parker Posey throughout most of the movie. There was, I, there was a very similar vibe. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I, I see it now, Christopher. Yes, I see where you're getting there. But um, but Wait, yeah, I... Did, 
What year did Batman Returns come out? Because I'm trying to think. Like, okay, because like you know when sometimes like people will have like that boost from something. Yeah. Where I was mm. like, was this her like? She booked like she booked Batman Returns. She was like, I'm on a path, and then she booked this, and then she yeah. was like, okay, I think maybe I'll take a break or whatever it was. I mean, I, I don't know anything about her outside of these two movies, but <laughs> um, but she gave a great performance in this thing compared yeah. to this thing. Yeah. I, I, I think she was better than, I mean, the the two leads are Daryl Hannah and Daniel Baldwin, who is the fourth clone of Alec Baldwin. I did not even know that this Baldwin existed. I was like, okay. He's like, um, Steven is the one that they dislike. Yes. Uh, Steven's the bad boy, right? Yes. Bad boy. No. Steven is the, he like runs like a Christian like skate park. Yes. What? He's born again. And he, yeah, he's like, a super conservative. Daniel Baldwin's in this, like they're really he's really giving you Alec vibes yeah, yes. in a way where you're like, oh, this is almost like a bizarro, like not quite, but you're like, <laughs> something is different about you. Yeah, he's dropped to that to that Baldwin register that like, well, babe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Where I'm like, if he would have said the word lemon at one point, I would have been like, oh my God, where are we? What universe is this? <laughs> Harry. Have you ever thought much about Gulliver's Travels? About what? Gulliver's Travels. The book Gulliver's Travels? That's right. I can't say as I have. I have. Quite a bit. I've started to think of myself as Gulliver, suddenly surrounded by all these toys and playthings. And I've begun thinking about the possibilities. Exactly what possibilities are we talking about here? Adventure, Harry. New dimensions, new horizons. So then she has this, what, okay, I wrote down primitive enlightenment because she she all of a sudden becomes this enlightened individual, right? She sees through all the shit. She's very confident. Her tone changes, her gait changes. And yet she is this primitive, like, sort of like, not Cro-Magnon woman, but like she's dressed in this sort of like- Like a uh, yeah, like a tarp and her hair is messy and she's like a, giving you sort of beast lady vibes, but she's like enlightened. But we don't go, she doesn't, it doesn't go into the enlightenment too far. Right. Like she's not explaining things in a new way. You know, that it, she she goes from having all this story of like trying to figure out what's going on. You know, people are think she's crazy, whatever. And then, I don't know. I, and then it, this this ending that is, I guess, reminiscent of the original, but like, I was like, it's over the, the ending's the like, new. Just, the ending's the new thing. It's the one new thing. Right. Well, there was, I just felt like there was not the resolution that I wanted. Like, yeah. I would have loved it if she would have stomped everyone to death or, and then tried to take over the planet or something. But right. well, instead I, it was- Because that's the frustrating element, right? Because the the the- enlightenment is supposed to come from the the new strength that she has and the strength is that she's now physically imposing um and so she can get the things that she's wanted out of life but like that's such a weird message to be like yeah. well now you're the aggressor so you can get what you want i wasn't able to find any research as to why he was offered this so my working theory is this remake was produced by deborah hill deborah hill was the longtime producer of the John Carpenter films. Uh, John Carpenter, clearly the connection is Jamie Lee Curtis, who has been Christopher Guest's wife since 1984. And I'm assuming it, it came around from that connection. But I, I, I wondered, like, what would this movie 
have been like if it had been not that i want to see a more horrific version but if it had been directed by a more horror oriented director or a more science fiction oriented right. director because yeah. i mean he is an actor's director and i just don't think that he got like i think the weakest element of it surprisingly the the weakest element is not like the special effects sure they're a little dated but they're not terrible uh the weakest element is for me was the was the acting and it's just funny because he is such a, a meticulously actor's director um to to experience that from one of his films well fuck you guys i like the movie anyway. <laughs> oh wow <laughs> moving on in, it was in the 90s when i we kind of get to the uh, uh the golden era of uh Christopher Guest and his movie making, um, starting in 1996, he began writing, directing, and acting in all of his, in this like series of movies that are all improvised, um, and, and what you kind of know class classically, if you will, as his mockumentaries, which he hates. Um, he writes a lot with Eugene Levy, and he kind of like brings together this like guest squad of actors and improvisers that he loves working with. Uh, we mentioned Parker Poehler. Um, Catherine O'Hara is one of them, uh, uh, Jennifer Fred Coolidge, uh, J- Jane Lynch, Fred Willard. Uh, it's, it, they're all in, in this uh, group. Um, and he also, uh, like I mentioned, is acting in them. Uh, and, and the first movie that comes out of this is um, for Guffman. It's about like this small community. Well, they're actors and they are hoping a Broadway producer will come and see their show and take them to Broadway. Um, it's... Uh, uh. It's it changed Brendan's life. It okay, did. so it's and you know another thing that I read. I believe that I read it in that book that I mentioned before called Best in Show. Um, is that and what I also characters that I have written and that I enjoy playing as well are and Christopher Guest talks about in this are are sort of small town dreamers. Mm, very that and and like something that is beautiful and entertaining about. It was also a different time, right? Before the internet was something where you could, you had information and the sharing of stories and whatever in a way where you were able to like understand processes better. Like in the 90s, like I thought as an actor, like, or, or when I was in high school, like I, I thought that you, people got discovered. Mm-hmm, like, you know right. what I mean? Like there was that thing of like, one thing and change your life. When when I was in high school, my dad was going back and forth to Boston for work, and they were they were ca- they were doing a casting for Batman Forever, <sighs> and I told I like faxed my dad my headshot and resume because Stop. I like did like I did like I did commercials and stuff in Cincinnati like since I was a kid. So like I was like the, and, and in my brain I was like this is my chance. Like if if I get this, cool. like I thought in my head if I get this. Also like I was like chubby and I was like there's no way they're going to be like yeah he's going to be Robin. I was like they'll I was like if I get this they'll fly me to California and I will like Did you work think out and I will stuff. you were like you were like hoping like okay I can be Robin. Like I can be yeah, Robin. I was That's like, who I want to be. They don't know like this is my dream role. Like I'm right. the perfect Robin. Like I've been playing I this is like everything I've been building towards. <laughs> um and I faxed my and and the thing in my brain at the time was like like this I could get discovered and even now like people really believe in I think and it it happens with like arts and entertainment jobs you know what I mean like being an actor being a writer being an artist being anything where you get to like express your creativity in a professional way like people are like 
that's the the untouchable dream and you have you it requires you to be in the right place at the right time and then you go from a to b right um instead of like long you know the longevity of like working hard over time and building things right and like before, what i love about waiting for government is that like especially with ron and sheila like is that they are the local stars and for a while that's enough for them you know they're like this is who we are we're the and then they get a taste they all get a taste yeah. and the minute that they're like the minute that it becomes this thing of like this man might come here and change all of our lives everything changes and i just i'm like i i i identify with that thing of like one one thing could change everything and, and that's just like the best all of these movies like gavin had mentioned earlier they're focusing in on like these niche like people or like uh, things that they like really love but all of them are in some type of way like dreamers who like yes. want to accomplish Absolutely. the thing be the best and you kind of hit it really well brandon like they're not delusional per se it's like they're someone will win this dog show you know like there's no delusion like you know they they have won the things um but it's uh yeah it's it's a very hopeful there and he says that like and i think the reason why he's very defensive about these movies is because he's like he says that his movies are full of empathy and heart and um i think someone like another reason why he hates interviews is because people think he's a silly human and think his movies are silly and so and but when they say that he's like this is my work mm -hmm. i worked really hard on this and like i'm not gonna let you um just make my movie seem like silly and like not um like a serious thing right right yeah and, he doesn't want to see his work demeaned you know of course of course and and the magical thing also with waiting for guffman is especially with like dr alan pearl is that you see <laughs> what it means to him to have this creative outlet. There's a thing that I think I got a, a, an entertaining bug from my grandfather, uh, Chaim Perlgut, who was very, very big in the uh, Yiddish uh, theater back in New York. He was in the, the very, the sardonically irreverent Dibbik Schmibbik, I said more ham the joy that it brings him. And that's just a really real thing. I think back to the times where like, you know, as a younger person, like you have those classes, whether, you know, where you start to tap into something deeper. And when you're in like a small town and you've never done anything remotely like that, and you have those experiences, you definitely, you're tapping into something and it's magical. It's a magical feeling. And like, even when they do the scenes where they're dancing and like doing like the scarf thing, yeah. like, uh, yeah, it's yeah. like beautiful because these characters are experiencing this release that they don't ever and they've never had something like that in their lives before right so we get 2000's best in show um which like you mentioned brandon is probably the most like the first like really mainstream thing like it yeah. was a wider release um i think I, that was the first movie i ever saw of his and i remember seeing it far too young and my like dumb dumb brain was like is this a fancy movie that I don't understand. Um, <laughs> I, I must have been, you know, 2000s. That was like, I was in like middle school and I was like, don't rub it in. Oh, what a dick. Don't, don't look at me that way. <laughs> I was paying taxes. Yeah, exactly. It's weird that when uh, you said I was in middle school, you produced like a giant lollipop to lick. And like, right. <laughs> I'm a baby. Why did you change into that sailor suit? Yeah, it's weird, Louie. <laughs> 
I, I fully did not understand it. I, I remember thinking like, this must be like a grown up movie. Like, like it's a like cool, like, and I remember thinking like, wow, like I'm like really cool and into cinema because I'm watching this movie that I definitely get and understand. I, my favorite part of Best in Show is fully the two gay characters. They're just like so fucking funny to me. And I mean, now I, the, the comfortability I think was like really beautiful to watch. Like just, know. you know, just the, the banter and the, the yes. dog is Tyrone and like- But he goes up to like, like the was, hotel and he's like, how tall are you? Oh yeah. my God. Like, well, at, like and there was something that about it, like on the, uh, like you can, you could, you could say that there were elements of parody in that, but also it was completely true because we know people like, yes. that, who are like that, who are like, uh, yes. As a, I, I, I appreciated it as somebody who was closeted at the time or some level of closeted at the time. They were just very comfortable as a couple. Like, the, and. The that end, was really nice. The ending of them like doing a photo shoot for their dogs sends me through the roof to the moon. It, it, I was like, I know these homosexuals. I, I love mean. them so much. I want to go vacation with them in Fire Island. Um, <laughs> they're just so fun. Um, and then also just like the, the combination of Catherine O'Hara and Eugene Levy. There is a reason why that like they keep coming back together right. when there's magic there. Because it's just so good. Well, th- um, and, th- and that's the thing. Just to build off what you're saying, like I, I, I definitely think his his presentation of homosexual characters never invites you to laugh at them because they're gay. You're invited to laugh at them because they're they're, they're ridiculous people. They're ridiculous. Right. But like, there is the that kernel of truth in all. You know, we do know those people, but we also know the the weird like Eugene Levy characters who were born with two left feet, which sounds insanely right. radical. Like I said, I think it's a nightmare to try to or get to try to produce a movie, to direct a movie that is centered on improv. But the characters and the nuances that they that they all have that play kind of like varied roles in in the development. In some ways this has to be uh, more strictly adhered to than ever. Because if you don't have at your disposal as an actor every single detail of what happens in a scene and your, your backstory and the other person's, you can't begin to, to work. And you can't, it's not just people yapping, you know, coming yeah. in and oh, just right, saying right, whatever right, you right. want. This is, it's very difficult to articulate what this, what this is. Like, for instance, like Cookie. Uh, you know, whose maiden name was Googleman. Like, <laughs> I like that she has a past as a slut, and everyone yes, right. she encounters, in some ways, like Cookie Googleman. Everyone. Like, but it does. But it's like this sort of thing that pops up, and then it gets. It's like a, a very subtle sort of nuanced thing, but it's but it's there. Like, yeah. Um, real yeah. quick, just just points on that. Um, uh, I'm going to bring up Shit's Creek just real real quick. There's a great special. Uh, about the end of Schitt's Creek where Dan Dan Levy was talking about the genesis of the show and talking about how when he came up with the idea, his father Eugene was like, okay, but we're going to attack this like it's a Christopher Guest film. And what he meant by that is we're going to know these characters. We're going to know like what they would have for lunch and what they did two years ago on this day. And, and, and so like, I think, there's there's definitely an element of that that Eugene Levy brings into all of this. Um, I went and saw the Shit's Creek live thing, and first of all, Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara still know the words to "God Loves a Terrier," and they performed oh, it. Amazing! <laughs> Somebody in the audience asked them to perform it, and they did. God did miss a stitch. He a dog or be a bitch. 
derrier with its true little derrier, yes, love a derrier. At the same event, they were talking about Best in Show, and Catherine O'Hara said the thing about her character having a past with all these men was obviously in, in the outline, but they Christopher Guest made sure never to let Eugene Levy know which men it was going to be. So it would always mm. come as a surprise to Eugene Levy Fun when mama. they would start being like, hey, I remember, remember that time. You right. And, and like he would frequently have to not be on camera for those scenes because he would just start, because it would just come out of nowhere. He would just start That's cracking so up cool. and Catherine O'Hara would just, without missing a beat, just go with it. I love that. Um, it's um, j- just so you guys get a little bit more painting um, on uh, the process of these movies. Um, so it's all improvised, but um, if you ask uh, Christopher Guest, he gets very like, no, it's not just like going on doing whatever. Um, that he writes these like really long, uh, you know, characterizations and backgrounds for each scene, each character, outlining the entire plot. And so like, there is a lot of uh, work that goes into it. And he he does this thing where he's like, it's like really hard to like explain. Like you wouldn't get it, so like just don't even ask me about it. Like. I'm just doing my thing, okay? Like, don't. Like, you don't get it. It's fine. I respect that. <laughs> like, don't even ask. Like, just don't fucking, reveal like, the secrets, growl. Uh-huh. And, and that's why he, like, is so um, guarded with, like, who he works with in his movies. Um, an interviewer asked him if, like, A-listers had ever asked if they could be in his movies. And he's like, oh, plenty of times. And he's always like, I don't think so, honey. Like, thank you so much. But he works with these cast of characters because he knows that they can do the thing that he wants them to do. Right. And uh, not like mug and not make it about them. Right, right. Like I can only imagine the people that have put themselves on tape as like just to try to get eyes on themselves for something. Like, right. like I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna make it, I'm gonna do a whole thing and then send it in and have him be like, I'm completely uninterested in this. Yeah, like, he was he's like, no, no thank you. Like I've got like the best in the biz. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um in 2003, A Mighty Wind, the third movie in this uh grouping comes out. Um and it is the guest verse. The guest verse, yes, <laughs> expanded universe. Um it focuses on folk musicians and uh, you know the, the 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 musicians that were at the top of their game in the folk bonanza and coming together to honor um, like the the label the the guy who ran the label that they were on he died Irving Steinbloom um, yes of yes. course oh, oh, he was a legend oh, you're, fa- he you're was familiar <laughs> um, so, and, and I don't know a mighty wind I, I think a mighty wind like is less funny to me it's not as good to me as i think his first two are what do you I think i feel like i feel like with a mighty wind i i definitely i think the music in a mighty wind is amazing yeah. i think that like you're right there yeah the, you're right there the the the, the lyrics i mean like the, one of the things that i like about all this movie is when it comes to like the minutia of like lyrics and naming and all that stuff it's so tight like and it's so funny. Like if, when you listen to the songs from A Mighty Wind, they sound like folk songs, but right. like there are certain elements that you can be like, that sounds like it's about farts and right, that's right. about like sex or whatever. Like it just, it's, and it's beautiful if you pick it apart in that sense. Um, I, when that, when that movie came out, I bought the soundtrack and I listened to it 
all the time, like constantly. And a kiss at the end of the rainbow actually, I think is a just oh. a very genuinely beautiful song. Yeah, I, it, it's funny because I hadn't rewatched it in a long time and I always gravitate more towards the, the sentimental. And I, for a long time I was like, I think Mighty Wind might be my favorite Christopher Guest. That might have changed a bit, but but I uh, but I love that that central uh, relationship between Catherine O'Hara and Eugene Levy, and that plot to me really works. Until in in my post um, my, my post feminist revelation when I became a fifty foot woman, uh, I think the, <laughs> the 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 tag at the end with them really puts me off of it, unfortunately. But yeah. I remember when they performed that song at the Oscars and there's that moment where they don't kiss at the Oscars <sighs> and it being like a, <gasps> uh, so like, I don't, I don't know. Like I, I have very special memories attached to Mighty Wind, but I, th- I think you're probably right, Louis. It's probably of, of the three that people think of, I think it's probably the least of them, but I don't, I don't think it's bad. I think it's just not as, the, the jokes aren't as constant. I also think it was the, I know that for your consideration, we'll talk about it, obviously. Like, I think Mighty Wind is the first film that there's more filmmaking in it mm-hmm. and less documenting. Mm, like, yeah. mm-hmm. for Guffman and Best in Show feel more like documentaries um, and there's, like, less filming. Um, whereas Mighty Wind, there are interview segments, so it, there is a documentary feel at times, but there is more sort of like filmmaking right it weirdly reminds me a lot of spinal tap just because like this like you mentioned the songs are the strongest point i'm i i think the songs are the best part of spinal tap like literally the far the, the song is called big bottom sex farm bitch school like and so yeah you mentioned that brandon made me think of uh, spinal tap um because you're right the songs are very funny and good um Oh, I just remembered the ending of uh, A Mighty Wind, though, when he, like, um, is it, like, the Folksman? Yeah. And, like, one of the players at the very end is, like, I am actually a woman. Yeah, is that and, what like, he's that entire his... t- That entire tag is actually, like, r- really unfortunate, if you ask me. And it doesn't, and the film doesn't need it. I think it, more than anything, it just uh, uh, serves to hurt the film because there's there's that joke about one of the, the homesmen now living as a woman that just feels like the joke is the like... folksman, oh, not the homelessman. Well, whatever, folksman. That entire joke is like, oh... It's a woman with a really deep voice because she used to be right. a man. And it's just like, got it, guys. Got it, got it, got it. And then the 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 revelation that like Catherine O'Hara is blaming herself once again for Eugene Levy having another breakdown because she didn't end up with him. I, I didn't need any of that. And like, and I think it's I'm maybe too invested in those characters, but I was just like, ugh, like, please, no. Right. <laughs> like you're an independent was, woman, sister. <laughs> when it came to the um the the uh, uh, characters from what is the what is the other group the Ma- new Main Street Singers, the where Street Singers Jane yes. Lynch and um, Fred Willard, not Fred Willard. It was Jane. Well, that Fred Willard was great. Jane oh, Lynch yeah. and the His guy. Entire thing is great. Like, but when they do that whole thing about the the power of color, yes, like, like that that took me. I remember when that seeing that and being like, that took me out of it in a weird way because it was like was too absurd even under the circumstances like there was something that was just weirdly bizarre about it that like especially you know what it was when when they flashed to them wearing like actual wizard caps and they're doing a chant 
And I was like, that's like kind of insane. I, but I, yeah. I think there's uh, like um, whiffs of that throughout though. And and I, I've been having like this d- debate back and forth. Like my boyfriend like loves these movies and I'm like heart trying to like really warm up to them. And he's like, oh, but it's like very honest. The I thought the funniest part of like Waiting for Goffman is when Bob Balaban um, is the like um, conductor and like yes. the little like band is playing and he's like fully going crazy and then you turn around and see the tuba players playing his tuba but also like hitting yes. a drum and yes. I was like I was like this is insane kooky bonkers bananas and I was like this is really funny to me um, that but- actually I noticed that when I watched it the other day and I was like oh my god I had never noticed that before it's- and he's just full on playing a trumpet and yeah. banging on the drum and also Bob Bellman is doing like the craziest like conducting I have ever seen. Um, but it's, it's, it's so, so funny. And, and so sometimes I think it lands like there, I think it does. But like you were mentioning for Mighty Win, it's kind of like, okay, so they're in cult or whatever. And it's... <laughs> I still don't, I, I don't understand how you can film so much material and whittle it down the way that he does. True. Right. The fact that that made it in, I'm like, that's, Odd to me, but right. but as a post production person, because as you know, my professional trade is is editing, and and I do wonder because there is something to be said about the fact that there there is all the everything is improv and everything is spontaneous, and it's like yeah, but if you're shooting ninety hours worth of film and you're cutting it down to what's the best bits, is that really spontaneous or is that like it was spontaneous in the moment, but now it's very controlled. Uh, but I mean, right. that's, uh, that's, I mean, I guess that's a bigger think sort of question, but I've always, I've always wondered that because I'm just like, I'm like, yeah, it's amazing what you can do on the spot. And it's amazing. You're able to get these people to, to create these very lived in, very well thought of characters, but also you're shooting so much with them. I mean, you don't shoot 90 hours worth of film on a normal movie or you shouldn't, unless you're Warren Beatty and you're making everybody take everything a hundred takes, you know? So I don't know. It's, oh, a, it's such a shame. Yeah, <laughs> such an interesting except back he, and except, forth. Except that he loves reds. <laughs> <laughs> I guess there's something to be said about it then. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on a little bit in 2006, For Your Consideration comes out, um, which I didn't know that a lot of people don't like this movie. All I knew was that people love uh, Catherine O'Hara in it. And really? She, people don't like it? I think a lot of people don't like this movie. Yeah. As there is a an article on Slate. Yeah, um, it's vicious. From Brian Curtis... Um, and it's called A Mighty Whimper. He says, only someone truly uncharitable could resist the charms of Christopher Guest, and I'm afraid I'm that man. As David St. Hubbins once put it, there's a thin line between stupid and clever, and since this is Spinal Tap, the film that started it all, Guest's movies have become increasingly threadbare. They have a lot of mirth, but few laughs, and I think the problem is lodged in his much-vaunted approach to comic filmmaking. And Ooh. it goes, and she, and that, and that's are just out, Hollywood. <laughs> that's just the beginning, Hanny. Um, and so, I mean, he talks kind of about what Gavin's saying. You know, like Christopher Guest is his whole thing is like my, these are real people. My filmmaking is very real. And this guy's like, honey, you're combing through hours of footage to like find the best bits. Like that's. I, no I would like to put it on the record movie. that I'm not aligned with this gentleman. Though. Gavin <laughs> said that he hates Christopher Guest. <laughs> I did. Is, I did not. Needs to be canceled. <laughs> I rewind like, the tape. <laughs> when this, when the, when for your consideration came out, I was excited, and then and I saw it, and I there was a, 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 a level of disappointment because it was a different format. This is not like the other ones. This is not right. a not not 
mockumentary, you know what I mean, or whatever. Right. Like a, a folkumentary, <laughs> F-A-U-X. Folkumentary. Um, I, I, like, be, this was not that. No. Um, and so I think people who are true fans will understand that he can do whatever he fucking wants. Right. Um, and then the people that are like, I love Best in Show, will be like, I don't like For Your Consideration. I thought right. it was stupid. You know what I mean? Because they don't appreciate it the way that I do. Mm, mm. Um, Brandon is here. Like, he has something to say. But like For Your Consideration, when I watched it recently, I was like, I did find it to be charming. And I did, I mean, maybe because we've all become closer to Catherine O'Hara in the past few right. years. Right. That like whatever character she plays, you're like, oh, I want you to win. And so when I like watching that the other night and when she comes out on stage to do the talk show appearance yes. and oh. her face is like, it, it it's like, oh my, because the, I, I also love, I love movies and TV shows about showbiz. Right, right. Like, yeah. I, I like, I like, that shit and so when she came out and you're just your heart sinks and you're just like oh baby oh, baby girl what's happening and the, and I, I also like for your consideration and I appreciate the minutia of like the movie that they're making um, and the fact that they have to change it to like home for Thanksgiving from right. home for Purim yeah <laughs> get you back to bed no my time is short and I will not leave the Purim table what is it about Purim that is so special to you, Mama? I'm an Esther, like the Queen. She was a woman who came from the worst of times to the best, to a palace where she had everything she wanted. Your daddy was my king. This house, my palace, and my selfless act was to protect my family from all the Haymans. What I also find very interesting about it is that Christopher Guest um, has such a diminished role in it than normally. I mean, obviously, yes. like uh, Corky St. Clair was like his the the one the centered, right. really centered that character, and then but slowly over time, like it feels like he's taken like more smaller roles. And for this, you know, he the, playing the director, like who I also who, who had some funny stuff, but like yeah. it, he was not integral no, to not the at thing. all. Catherine O'Hara's journey in that movie feels like the most easily to relate to because you see you know all these actresses doing the parade of shows and being like oh my god what me like no mm. um and I, I thought that the movie definitely has its moments um but uh yeah i don't know for whatever reason i think a lot of people are in this camp of uh you know um it's not the the tried and true formula of christopher guest um, that people were expecting. The last thing that he's made was 2016's Mascots, which came out on Netflix. We'll talk about it later. Yeah, he uh, he oh, also he, no he made he did an HBO thing. Yes, he I did watched. an HBO TV show. Oh, called Family that's right, Tree. that's right. Yeah, yeah. I, right. I almost went back and watched an episode, but I I found it to be really sedate yeah. in a mm. way that I, and that and also having a, a having the story roll out, you know, in a in that format was not as entertaining to me or interesting. I was yeah. like, oh my God, can you just meet the guy? Um. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the time, because there's not a lot about him out there on the interweb, the only thing we know about him personally is that he is married to uh, Jamie Lee Curtis since 1984. Um, they have two adopted kids. 
Um, and that's that, honey. He's like we mentioned, he's a baron. Um, he's very like whatever about his um, title. And I think there's like a law that the UK passed that makes it really meaningless. Um, so yeah, he's, he's uh, like, he, he's pushed for them to, to make the house of Lords, uh, uh, more open to people and, and make people vote on it. And they passed the law in the nineties saying that people who have inherited their titles can't have a say in that. So, yeah, so they, they've actually moved further away from what Mm -hmm. he wanted. I mean, it is well documented that he, like Gavin said, is a droll, droll man. He says, I rarely use jokes unless I'm in front of a camera. It's not what I am in real life. It's what I do for a living. Because I think people may expect something else. Maybe they expect yeah. someone that's, uh, that tells more jokes or that uh, does some strange things. But I, I uh, which I'll do a little later in a couple of minutes, but. Well, okay, but, tell some jokes or? No, no, I don't know any jokes. You don't? No. I wanna know what his life with Jamie Lee Curtis is like because she's so outspoken in so many ways that right i yeah. i just want to know like what what what's, they what what's the what's the dynamic who wears the pants yeah. it's funny that you would say that about like what is his life like with jamie lee curtis because he actually uh was quoted in an interview once uh talking about it and he said no i don't talk about the family this is kind of an ongoing thing that gets honestly to be kind tiresome only because, you know, you meet people in Boston and they say, boy, what's it like to wake up with Jamie Lee Curtis? Well, you know what? We've been married for 12 years. We have kids. It's not like we're living some bizarre life here. We go home, we wear sweatpants, and the baby takes a dump and we change the diaper. I don't mean to put you off here, but I just tend to not talk about it. What's <laughs> like, that, honey? I mean, also, too, like, she's in a different sphere of... Right. you know, career-wise as an actor and being, you know, as present as she has been in popular culture, that, like, you, what answer can you give that will right. satiate anybody who asks that question? It, it's right. funny, too, because he's he's been asked before if he would work with her, and he's like, well, we decided a long time ago that, no, uh, we wouldn't work together, but also she's, like, too famous to be in my movies. Yeah. <laughs> Fire. Um, I think that's a, a good wrap-up of his illustrious career, Gents, um, why don't we move into um, some some picks? Let's do our one star review. It is always our our guests that gets to go first, Brandon. So why don't you elucidate us? What what is your one star review? I gotta go attack of the fifty foot woman. Wow, <laughs> homophobia! You hate women. Just say you hate women. I appreciate it for being what it is, mm. whatever that may be. Mm-hmm. Um, but the pace was strange. Yeah. And I just, I wish, I wish it could have gone further. I wish it could have gone further and been like, if it was going to be, if it was going to have feminist themes, like push them further or like blow up the whole world in a different way. Otherwise, right. like I just felt, un- it felt unfulfilling to me. I just think like, so what Gavin was saying, like she becomes like kind of drunk on this power of like how big she is, but she never, she doesn't rampage through everything. She's not like, you know, becoming a monster. And literally at the end, she's just like, I just want to fuck. And it's like, <laughs> And she's like, no, ew, that's so gross and disgusting. And she loses it because she's like, I am not like 
um, I'm not being outrageous. I am just like being a woman. I, I, I belong here. And she even like finds like the, the, the mistress and she grabs her and is like, honey, you deserve better. Don't be stupid your whole damn life. You're better than they are. You're smarter than they are. And you know more than you think. We all do. I think in a, a normal movie, like she would just like fucking kill everyone and, and that'd be that. But literally in the end, she's like, I'm going with my alien homies to like, I don't know, make out with it that, and like reform our idiot husbands. Um, and I, and I, a wonderful uh, mission. Yeah, truly. It both is, um, but also it like raises the question, why? Like after all of that, why yes. would she still want to be with him? Why? Like, so this is a movie in which yes. she, she, he's like a scheming guy who wants her father's company and he's dating her so he can get to the, and she. Oh, her father's awful. And she could like clearly see through him, especially after this transformation. So it gets to the end and it seems like she's still trapped with him. And it's like, no, she should just fucking kill him. <laughs> you know what's wild, though? There's that moment where the um, sheriff and, like, the deputy have, like, a really beautiful moment where yes. she's like, what's love? Comes a point when hope's all there is. So you hold on long past the point when common sense tells you you should let go. You can get that way with people, too. You keep on giving and giving because they need so much, and then maybe if you give a little more, they'll be satisfied. Maybe. Is that love? No, Charlie. That's not love. That's the thing people call love when they don't want to feel like they've wasted their life. And so I think they're trying to say, like, you know, she really is in love with Daniel Baldwin for whatever reason, um, which is fucked up, and she should just fucking leave. Like, you're right. But, yeah. I don't know. She, I think she also feels like this expectation, like I do want to be a good wife and I do want things, but also she wants more and she deserves right. to like not be called crazy and stuff. So there is something there, but I think you're right. Like I wish it would have been like turned up to 11. That's a reference up from earlier. <laughs> um, like if the camp was oh, turned up. Oh, circling back. <laughs> I, me, it's me. Um, big fan of Christopher Guest movies. Um, <laughs> I wish she was clever when she changed. I would, yes. I would have appreciated some like jokes instead of just sort of a, like a. She see there was like, she became this like, yeah. Just, I want her to be funnier, not funny, funny, but like, just a a couple like snazzy one liners gonna, right. gonna hurt. Yeah. Once she transforms, like everyone accepts it right away. Like there's yes. no like they're like whoa and then like 10 minutes later they're like going out to visit her in the barn yeah. like how you doing like which is funny because they spend the they spend the first 40 minutes like convinced that she's insane and so right. it's it's never like a point where they're like oh sorry we were wrong you're not insane you're actually a 50 yeah. foot woman like right. no they're just like oh oh you're big now okay well you're right. still crazy <laughs> you just have to deal with this go back in the barn <laughs> Gavin, why don't you hit us with your one-star review? So my one-star review is actually a film that we didn't talk about. It is uh, one of Uh-oh. the, it was the film he directed in between Waiting for Guffman and Best in Show. It was his return to fiction cinema, or non-mockumentary, I guess. And it is 1998's Almost Heroes. Uh, I feel like neither of you probably watched this, but. I did not. I saw that it was a thing that existed. Yes. And, and I said, no. So this is a film that I, I remember came out when I was in 
junior high and i remember people seeing it because the 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 big thing was is it is the final leading role of chris farley so it's a film starring chris farley and matthew perry and it's like a parody of um lewis and clark essentially they're competing lewis and clark expedition leaders and it's it's just so overworked and and just like the the screenplay's not very funny um you know there there were several writers um they originally wanted jim carrey uh but chris farley ended up being the first actor they were cast and originally they tried to get hugh laurie for the matthew perry role um and then they went to Hugh Grant and then Bill Murray and they all turned it down but Matthew Perry accepted it and uh essentially it was it was basically just wrought with problems uh from the get-go and they attempted to save it in post-production um the the writer Tom Wolf um who's not the author of the same name by the way uh said that the script was originally intended to be an ensemble piece uh more than a buddy comedy but the studio saw it as a buddy comedy and then farley's assistant ted dondeville stated that in post-production cuts were made around the star and targeted peripheral characters he felt the lost material would have helped farley's performance and he quote said they cut the ensemble scenes first matthew perry's second and chris's never um wow it also sounds like it was just there was a bunch of stuff that they shot with Parker Posey. None of it's in the movie. Um, hmm. Bokeem Woodbine, what, who plays one of the characters in the film, was not available to do reshoots for the ending. So his character literally disappears for the end of the film, which is funny because they're clearly setting up the subplot about how he's a slave and then Ugh. he just goes away. <laughs> well, so, you know. Um, so, yeah, it's, oh, I mean. my. It's 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 bad all around. It it doesn't. There's a lot of like really really trying to hit hard jokes. It's unfortunate Eugene Levy's in it playing like maybe one of the most ridiculous characters. Ever. He's playing like a very swarthy Frenchman, which like you never get to see Eugene Levy play like. Ooh, la, yeah, that la. sounds great. What's happening here? <laughs> that French animal bit my ear off. Well, that's an absurd exaggeration. My apologies, Bidwell. He look in our tent, he look at my woman, he saw her breast. Her breast? You saw her breast? I've said it before and I said it again. Any man who look on her will die. It's just a lot of a lot of mistake after mistake after mistake. And it, the unfortunate thing is, obviously, once again, it is the final film in which Chris Farley uh, starred in. And because the, the post-production was plagued with such problems, uh, it was originally set to come out weeks after he died. And they ended up having to push it back to six months after he died. So it was wow. still this very weird uh, moment where it's just like, oh, this this is what we're left with from Chris Farley. I remember like the surrounding news about this movie, but like yeah. I for, like I I didn't know that Christopher Guest directed it. I and I didn't, yeah, like I don't remember it coming out. I just remember the drama surrounding his death and this movie being like however far along it was. Yeah, Denise Denovi, who uh, produced it. Um, ended up reflecting on the failure of the film because it was a failure. It has like an 8% on Rotten Tomatoes. It was a box office bomb. And she said, the script was brilliant. We even hired Christopher Guest to direct it. I thought so many times about what went wrong. I always like to say I have the distinction of making the only unsuccessful Christopher Guest movie. 
Um, wow. So <laughs> well, at least she has a sense of humor about it. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so, but I think we should leave that there. Uh, so Louie, what's your one star review? Uh, mine is 2016's mascots. Um, it, you know, it's about uh, the world of mascots and it's kind of his return to this mockumentary, mockumentary, whatever. Um, but it's also like the first real infusion of new players for him. Yeah. Um, you get, you get Zach Woods, um, who people know from like, uh, Silicon Valley, you get Chris O'Dowd, um, and they're and they're like the, these, these people that you're like oh I've seen them in like some Comedy Central things or I've seen them kind of doing improv you know and uh, he's injected them into you know we you do have Jane Lynch Parker Posey Jennifer Coolidge um, so, so the standards are there Fred Willard's there Corky St Clair makes a cameo I, in this movie I saw this I saw that he was in an episode and I was like I but I haven't watched it because I don't want it to mess up so my it's answer. a movie Brandon it's, it's, it's a movie a, wait, it's a movie. A, I thought it was a show. No. That's what my boyfriend said too. I was like, babe, it is. I was like, did you think it was just one long episode? Because it's, that's it. It, it oh, only, it's just, it only looks like a TV show, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it is certainly, like it also, is that, that top quality me, Netflix money that they put into things yeah. when they're like, we don't want to pay a lot for this. <laughs> See, I feel like I might've even watched a little bit of it, but I was high and I don't remember. Fair. <laughs> like, fair. And I just, fair. like, and I just blocked it out. Cause like, I have like, I'm like, hmm, it sounds familiar. Well, I mean, so that's the thing. I think, like, I I don't know if he hit it out of the park with some of these new players in thing. I don't think Chris O'Dowd's good at improvising. I think he's funny and can And he funny. built an entire fucking TV show around him. Really yes, did. I agree. I am the official mascot of the Blue Lake Mallards. A lot of people say I'm the bad boy of sports mascottery. And to be fair, I am currently serving six temporary suspensions from different stadiums for some physical incidents that took place between myself and some opposing players and team mascots. I'm also currently serving a lifetime ban from the Calgary Cavaliers for a sexual incident that took place between myself and their team owner's wife. I enjoyed him so much in Bridesmaids. I think that there are other things I've seen him. I'm like, I think he's a very good actor. He's a great comedian, but like, I don't think he shines here. I think Zach Woods is like very, try hardy in this with his like companion I, I don't remember her name but she i've seen her and in, in other things too and i think they're both really good at what they do but like I, yeah I, I think what frustrated me too about what you're saying about so this this is his first film with jim piddock uh who who is an actor in his other films he's a british man right. and he he's also in his tv show family tree that he co-created with him and so it's not eugene levy and i think part of that eugene levy heart is missing but i also think what you're saying too about especially zach wood's character and he, the the woman who played his wife is there isn't um there's not enough reality to their character. They haven't dug into the core of these characters. So they're right. coming to the stage with one goal. And the goal is just like, okay, we hate each other. And that's the right. one note that they're going to play for the entire hour and 30 minutes of the film. And it's Absolutely. that was frustrating to watch because they don't feel real like the right. other characters in his films. And it's almost like, you know, there's like always surprise in his movies. Like you don't know what's going to happen. And, and with this, it's like, oh, they're going to have to perform together and they're going to eat shit because they hate each other. And that's what's right. going to happen. And that's exactly what does happen. I'm like, oh, cool. Like, there's no, there's nothing really there. Like, in Best in the Show, you never would have guessed that 
Parker Posey and um, her like husband are they're gonna have a freak out with the dog and like right. you know like there's always surprise there even though like yeah. they're clearly having their own issues here it's like you know God like fucking beating a dead horse over and over again um, a lot of this movie also uh, hinges on literally just like watching extended sketches of like the mascots doing bits in front yeah. of judges and I'm like okay cool like I don't I don't know. Could you laugh along with like seeing the plumber like dancing with a piece of shit on stage for, you know, five minutes? You're asking a big question. (laughs) These are big questions that you need to like really um, figure out for yourself. Uh, But yeah, I, it it just felt like the most kind of, it felt like someone was trying to do a Christopher Guest movie. Right. It didn't feel like one. And, and like, and and also uh, it was weird too, because it it is sort of the return to, to mockumentary format, but it did feel sort of like what you were saying, Brandon, about uh, a mighty win where, or, or more towards like the office or parks and rec where they're capturing scenes that would be impossible for a documentary crew to capture. They're capturing like these private moments in elevators that nobody Mm -hmm. would say in front of a camera and, and not like awkward, like serious moments that, that people would not, have and it's it's funny because i i i like that we talked about the inspiration that this has had on modern television because one of the funniest things that ever happened for me watching parks and rec and i love parks and rec was there's a there's a scene in one of the seasons where leslie is talking to a camera and ben is behind her and it cuts to the reverse angle and there's no camera in front of leslie and at that (laughs) moment i was like oh my god all the characters are insane I was like, there is no documentary crew on Parks and Rec. And that's what this felt like, was the yeah. revelation that it was like, mm-hmm. oh, there's like a supposed documentary going on, but there, there isn't. There, there's no cameras there. Right. And so then it just feels extra performative because it feels like people performing for nothing. Yeah. So, um, Brandon, Brandon, stay away or, I don't know, get high and don't remember this movie again. <laughs> I mean, I really, I feel like maybe I'm like, there's like part of me, you're describing things. I'm like, I think I gave it a try, but it was late. Uh-huh. It was very late. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, Parker Posey's great in it though, but the, she's always great, so. Yeah. Um, so let's move on out of our one-star reviews and let's get to our five-star reviews. Brandon. I can't, I can't even understand or believe what your five-star review would be. Yeah, what no could idea. it possibly be? What, what could it possibly be? Lighting for Guffman. <laughs> Lighting for Guffman? Um, yeah, I, I think it, it just set, it set that standard. It set the standard for, for what came. And, you know, I try to, I, I try to pick apart the role of nostalgia in my life and in, in my work and in the things that I like, um, because I think nostalgia will just drags us down as a, as a planet. Um, but it's okay to like things from that made you feel a bit, but it's not okay to just like attach to them so much that you never do anything different. So, but the thing with waiting for Guffman is like, it's just the rawest version of all of those things to me. Um, and it's, it, it has a lot of heart and it's very truthful and the characters, you know, it, it's almost like when you watch reality, tele, any sort of reality television show now versus like the beginning of that craze. Like if you watch the early seasons of the real world, there is something happening because these people are like being recorded, but they're not aware of, 
right. the cameras in a way. Now people go on TV shows. I mean, Drag Race does it too. Like where people yeah. are like, I've got my catchphrases. I know my angles. I know exactly how to get what I want from this scene. Right. And the thing about Waiting for Guffman that I like is that this is before people were looking for all of these moments. Right. You know what I mean? Before they were like looking for quotables. They were looking for weird stuff. Like it was just these actors doing their thing and... Um, I still like to this day, like even watching it just the other day, like I was like, gosh, like it's, there are some really beautiful moments watching Alan Pearl become this person that he was, you know, never got to be. And now he is a performer. Like, um, and then the, tra and the tragedy and triumph, like of, of when, of, 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 uh, of Catherine O'Hara and, and, and Fred Willard going to California right. and the, the dream does not work out the same way that they imagined it. Well, here we are, the land of dreams, and don't let anybody tell you dreams can't come true. We're an hour from the snow, we're 20 minutes from the ocean, uh -huh. two hours from Mexico, uh -huh. uh, and five hours from Vegas. Five hours from Las Vegas, and we're gonna get there one of these days. As soon as we get a car. Yeah, we, we don't have a car yet. Who wants to add to the pollution? Yeah. We consider ourselves bi-coastal, if you consider the Mississippi River one of the coasts. Uh, what? Extras, let's go over here. All right, time to get back to work. That's what they're paying us for. Come on, kid. Uh, by Why can't they say Ron? She'll over this way, please. Because they had their dream and they pursued it and it didn't pan out because that happens sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, um, random, please. I love it. Yeah, and Corky Sinclair is iconic. Like the yeah, looks, absolutely. the dancing, the, just him dancing enough. It's funny because I, I, that's all I can think of when it, when I was a kid, they used to have these things called video stores. And if you're younger than oh, 30 okay. and you're listening to this, uh, and I like the box for that movie was just Quirky St. Clair. It was not, mm -hmm. whereas the rest of the films is always a picture of the ensemble, but the box for waiting for Guffman was Quirky St. Clair. Yes. Yes. And the way he talks about his, like the shows that he did. I also love that sort of like going from New York to a small town because you mm -hmm. don't necessarily, and there's a character that I've actually uh, workshopped over the years that one day I will make a web series. I wrote like six episodes of a web series of, of and I won't tell you the concept because I don't want somebody to steal it, but it's basically somebody that came from a place and ended up in a, in a smaller place. And those sort of people exist and in some, in some cases, not now because we have more information at our fingertips, like, in the past, like people can go to those places and be like, I was somebody. Yeah. And people are like, they were somebody. Yeah. Like they don't need to do the research. Um, and I, I, I'm fascinated with that. And the way that he goes in and he's like, you know, we, when we did this production and when I was in New York and, you know, it, it's, it, I, I, I love it. I love him. Well, if you ever yeah. need an editor, I happen to know one who's very good. Who gives I just need discounts. money. Can you get me money? No, that, that I cannot. I don't know. <laughs> Everything I write where I'm like, oh, you know what? I want. I think I'm going to pursue this. And then I sit down and I'm like, where am I going to get $30,000? Oh. <laughs> oh, is that all you need? Is that all you need? Oh my yeah, God, hold on. Yeah, exactly. I mean, so real quick then, because uh, we'll, we'll breeze on to Louie then, because I agree with you. My five-star review is also waiting for Guffman. I really went into this thinking it was probably going to be best in show. I think best in show is really brilliant. I think there's a lot of really funny characters and a lot of really great things. But I think there is something you know, waiting for government is lightning, lightning in a bottle. It, it just is special. It's, you know, and it's the combination of, of the actors. And, and like you said, you know, it's, 
life is full of little disappointments and like that movie boils down to like a little disappointment and they you know they gave it their all they they put on the best show they possibly could for these people and in the end you know it didn't matter everybody's always doing that in their life so i think there's something to easily connect to those characters and i that gets heightened as the as the films go on but there's something really special about the way he was able to capture that in waiting for guffman um i don't really have too much more to say other than you know the midnight at the oasis audition song for the coffee commercial is maybe one of my favorite things in the world and i just love the way it's so funny that you know Catherine o'hara obviously ends up partnered with uh eugene levy in almost everything else but the energy she has with fred willard in waiting for government is truly something special am i late <gasps> you surprised how did you find me i have my ways would you like to come in for coffee you don't need to answer there's no need to speak And I will be your she. So I, like I mentioned, had like a harder time connecting to the style, the genre, if you will. Um, I like I agree with you, Gavin, that um, best in, best in show is the first thing that I saw. I think like it's a lot of it's funny, but like there's still parts of it that make me like kind of like, oh, this is just uncomfortable. Ah. Um, and that's just my own grief and um, what I need to figure out in my life. Um, <laughs> So I, I my my five star review goes to 1989's The Big Picture. Um, I think it's like it's it's clearly the least um, Christopher Guestian of his movies, I'd say. But I think he still his point of view is still there. He still clearly has something to say, and he still um, is uh, his style. I think like when he uh, Kevin Bacon like is just like looking at things, and he all of a sudden gets a flash of like how he would direct something. And you see that happening. It's it's still a very weird movie, and I, I like the um, narrative of this uh, young filmmaker who is so full of hope and love, and he truly just loves making films. And how this movie kind of uh, morphs from you know him being like swallowed by the machine and like the really like I don't even care what I'll make I'll just make whatever and like yeah we can like have ghosts and like hot girls and like it's it'll be like on a boat like whatever yeah, yeah. totally the movie it's in black and white the whole movie every scene yeah well Nick if you shoot it in black and white they're just gonna colorize it anyway so what's the point <laughs> yeah, a lot of theaters don't even show black and white movies anymore they don't have the right projectors all the projectors are in color. It's true. That's not... How do you see music fitting in, Nick? Well, I was thinking no music. No music where? No music at all. What do you mean? You gotta have music, Nick. Well, you know, maybe some music here and there, just not wall-to-wall -wall music. Oh, who's talking about wall-to-wall -wall music? No, <laughs> what we're talking about are 15 or 20 good pop hits here and there, you know, at most. Isn't that right? Right. There are parts of this movie that are not... I mean, it's weird because this movie, uh, it finally came out. It only came out in limited release in, like, four cities, and then it later just went to, like, go die on VHS. Um, but I think it's really good. And in, in the end, he... I, Christopher Guest is able to, like, kind of create this package of, like, this is a you can still be a good person. You can still be friends and like um, have your dreams come true. You don't have to like, you know, shit on people to make what you want to have in your life happen for you. Um, and so I, yeah, I, I, 
and I, and I also think this movie is funny and um, there's a lot of heart in this movie. I think like when, when I was reading these interviews from him, I was like, it's easier for me to find like the heart and the um, empathy like in this movie. And uh, yeah, I just really like it. And Fran Drescher's in it and I love her so much. <laughs> um, and also in the end, like he makes, like Martin Shorten's in it, like you mentioned, and he's so funny in this movie. But in the end, he's able to somehow like harness the energy and power of Hollywood for himself instead of like working against it. Like literally all he has to do is ignore his agent. And all of a sudden, like he's the most fucking wanted filmmaker like in all of Hollywood, um, which I thought was just so funny. And so like you said, it's a, it's a very optimistic kind of like, you know, uh, upswing of a movie. It's funny. Um, and I, I didn't, I didn't bring this up and I'll just do it real quick. But when we were talking about for your consideration, I think my, the thing that I, I, I saw for your consideration, I think I had the same reaction as Brandon when I was just like, Oh, it's not the same, but over the years, my esteem for it has grown, but I haven't seen it. And I rewatched it and I was just like, Oh no, I, I don't like this as much. And I think part of it is the cynicism. And I think the big mm-hmm. picture is, is the more optimistic view of that. Maybe, for your consideration is slightly more realistic, but I, I don't know. Right. I've, I've still got I mean, my optimism. Yeah. I mean, I, I think a big part of this, and we haven't talked about this at all, is that like he is, uh, Christopher Guest is a man of uh, privilege. He is able to, like he said, he's like, I don't write spe- on spec. I don't, I don't pitch anything. Like, you know, if they like what I do, I'll do it. And I mean, he's a man who came from money. Um, he's, I, I was talking to Derek about this. I was like, do you think any woman out there could be this, ill-behaved when doing promo and like have a career like I just don't think it could happen you know like I think um there is a lot about like and and I think that kind of like comes through in when he's obscuring all of Hollywood in this I think I'm like okay he because he is part of this community whether he likes it or not whether he like likes to participate in it or not he is part of this um and so yeah I agree I I prefer the optimism of the big picture so before we get out of here we need to do our mixed reviews review. My one star review was 1998's Almost Heroes. My one star review was 2016's Mascots. My one star review was 1993's Attack of the 50 Foot Woman. <laughs> and my <laughs> and my five star review was 1996's Waiting for Guffman. My five star review is 1989's The Big Picture. My five-star review was the 1996's Waiting for Guffman. So now we're in our fast forward. I don't really know what Christopher Guest has next in line. As you said, Louis, he can basically do anything. It doesn't look like there's anything listed on IMDb or Wikipedia. It's funny. I was thinking about this. Like, what could he possibly, like, I was thinking, could his movies exist in today's, like, comedy landscape worlds like there are so many he uh, uh, you know pushed the genre there's so many things that like you know took on his style and I mean mascots is the last his last attempt of like trying to play back in that wheelhouse but I don't even think that that style of um, comedy is kind of like on its way out as far as in popularity you know like when he was doing it by himself it was like groundbreaking um, but yeah. now you know he does commercial. He directs commercials. That's true. He does direct commercials. And I feel like that is probably because, like, you know how sometimes people sort of go in and out of the spotlight in a certain way, and you're like, where do they go? How do they eat? Like, how do they make money? Like, and commercials is one of those things. And I forget the last one he did. Some I don't remember what the brand was, but it was like a bunch of people in either in like a boardroom. Maybe it was like a focus group. 
but it was like mockumentary. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, what am, what am yeah, my favorite? That's gotta, be how, that's gotta be like what his focus is now. People just go and they're like, they've probably fallen over him and they're like, we would love it if you would direct this orange juice commercial. And he's like, <laughs> sure, fine. And, and he gets paid a ton of money. I mean, he got paid oh, so course. much to do a U.S. Census commercial in 2010. Um, right. and, and actually, one of my favorite things that he did is at the 2012 Oscars, he did a mockumentary focus group about The Wizard of Oz. I find some of the tunes very catchy. Uh, oh, if, if dirty little monkeys fly around the rainbow, why, oh, why can't I? I feel that way, too, sometimes. Are there, is there a particular character that you would rather not see? That's easy. Dorothy. And the good witch is a cruel jokester. She should have told Dorothy hours ago that she could have clicked her heels. We'd all be home sooner, wouldn't we? Was one green or am I nuts? I wonder if that's that's really where it's at. Is it's almost he almost sort of has to revert back to what he used to do, almost to sketches, because that's really what commercials have sort of become, anyways, unless they're like, you know, like don't take Viagra if you're having an right. erection for more than three hours. Right. right. Yeah. I, would love to have, I would love to see him do something like that. Yes, exactly. Quite honest. Starring Eugene Levy. But that's yeah. also one of those things because he's built this thing for himself that he isn't one of those people that's like rushing to appease people and he's not, he's not looking. So people, I'm sure there are people that will come to him and let him do whatever he wants because of who he is. Right. And he can do things at his own pace. He can make the, you know, he's not going. And he, he probably too is not fighting that, you know, they lay out what their needs are. And right. then he makes things based around that. And that there isn't a lot of conflict when it comes to like, he's, you know, he's not going to be like, this is my vision. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Um, right. Because who cares? Like it's a, La Vitra commercial. <laughs> I just want to see what Parker Posey does when they're talking about suicidal thoughts. That's all. <laughs> it turns to it's like the first time she turns. She just turns to the camera and glares yeah. <laughs> with an angry Bob. She shakes her head. She's like on, she's like petting a dog in a meadow, and then she just turns and so she's like, as <laughs> and like leaps around the dog's neck. <laughs> Hire me to direct your Levitra commercial. Um, but yeah, I don't. I I think you're totally right. He's gonna. He has always done whatever he wants. I think he'll right. continue to do whatever he wants. I don't know if we'll ever get like back to that golden age of those. You know, was it four movies? Um, mm-hmm. his the past prime. is dead. Yeah the, yeah, the past is dead. Kill it if you have um, to. Time of. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the past is dead. Comedy is dead. Um, <laughs> Queerness is dead. Um, but you know what? We are living. I'm are living for living. you, honey. <laughs> Clackety clack, clack, clack. <laughs> Gavin, get wow. off the, Gavin, get off the floor. Please, no shablamming in the studio. <laughs> the, stu- uh, the studio. Uh, okay, but Brandon, yeah, I, I agree. I, I don't, and it's so funny because normally like we get to the fast forward and we're like, this is what this person is doing next. This is what we'd like to see them do next. I I. He do- he doesn't have to do anything to impress me anymore. Like he's he's done it, and like I I mean, would I lo- would I love? Is there a way for him to like recapture Guffman? I don't think so. Would I love for the- somehow magically for it to happen? Absolutely, I would be the first in line. I would just I would like to see him like back in front of the screen. Honestly. 
Yeah. I think he's so funny. I think he's I think he's really good when he's being directed as well. Like I think, you know, I, he's certainly a good, good improviser, but also I'm just like, man, he was so good in Princess Bride. Like he's so good in um, just being, I, I, he can pull faces, he can do accents. Like he's a funny fucking dude. And um, yeah, I like when his energy is harnessed into fun, fun things. Well, light a candle. And mm-hmm. uh, say a prayer, and we'll see what the future holds. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. Absolutely. <laughs> so I think that wraps up Christopher Guest. Uh, Brandon, thank you so much for joining us. We're going to give you a moment to plug your stuff. Where can we find you online? Tell us how we can buy all this stuff so we can get you $30,000. Yes. This is, a now, uh, this is now an official GoFundMe for your um, work. You can find me at Brandon T. Snyder on all social media platforms. My website is kootikid.com. Um, I don't have any, like, I wrote, I wrote a What is the Story of Princess Leia book, which is part of the Who Is series for younger readers. Um, but I don't know when it's coming out. It got pushed. Without oh. And then next year, I, I can't really talk about the thing that I'm working on because it'll be announced in the next couple of weeks. But if you follow me on social media, you'll see because I'll retweet something from Publishers Weekly and you'll be like, oh, that's fun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you guys need to follow to get the, the drop, the mystery yes. drop that's coming soon. And I'll probably have a newsletter in the next year because I will have to for career yeah. purposes exactly. and I will hate it, but also it's inevitable. <laughs> Brandon, it is a true pleasure. I am, I'm very lucky to call, be able to call you a friend and thank you so much for coming on this episode. This so much fun. And I am so lucky me. to call you an enemy, Brandon. Wow. <laughs> oh, you don't, you don't know. After everything that you've said and done. I know. The things that I've done. I'm going to block you on Twitter and start talking about you immediately. <laughs> I love when people talk about me. Uh, <laughs> Thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you, Brandon, for being here. Gavin, where can people find us? If you want to contact us on Twitter, we're at The Mixed Reviews. We're also on Facebook to type in The Mixed Reviews. If you want to shoot us an email, you can email us at reviewsmixed at gmail.com. We're also on Instagram. Like us, retweet, reblog, um, watch all the great videos that Gavin makes. We're at the underscore mixed underscore reviews. And if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play Music, iHeartMedia, all the wonderful ways. If you want to stop by Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review and a rating, we would love you for that because it helps other people find us. And we just want to expand our cult of colors. Red, Mm. green, blue. Yes, paint with all the colors. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you all so much for listening. We'll be back in two weeks with another subject. And have a good quarantine, I guess. (laughs) Stay inside. Bye. Bye bye. Good luck out there. <laughs> oh, a mighty winds of blowing. It's kicking up the sand. And it's blowing out a message to every woman, child, and man. Yes, a mighty winds of blowing. Across the land and across the sea. It's blowing peace and freedom. It's blowing equality. When the blind man sees the picture, when the deaf man hears the word, when the fisherman stops fishing, when the hunter spares the